All right, we're going to continue in worship now by studying God's Word together. Go ahead and open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 8. We're going to be reading verses 26 through 39. We've been calling this series of messages the Word because it seems like at this point in the book of Luke, this section seems to be focused on the powerful Word of Jesus. We've looked at the parable of the sower and how those who truly receive God's Word will bear fruit in their lives. We talked about lighting a lamp and putting it on its stand, how God has given us light, and we need to be careful that we don't waste the light that we've been given. We talked about Jesus' true family and how the key to a relationship with Jesus is obedience to his word. Last week, we talked about how even the winds and waves obey Jesus' word. And so it seems like everything Luke is showing us in this section highlights the authority and power of Jesus' word, as well as our need to rightly respond to that word. And we're going to see those same themes continue in this section today. The story picks up right after Jesus has calmed the storm as he and his disciples are arriving at the shore and they're going to step out of the boat. And so follow along with me as we read Luke 8, starting at verse 26. Then they sailed to the country of the Gerasenes, which is opposite Galilee. When Jesus had stepped out on land, there met him a man from the city who had demons. For a long time he had worn no clothes. And he had not lived in a house, but among the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him and said with a loud voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you, do not torment me. For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. For many a time it had seized him. He was kept under guard and bound with chains and shackles. But he would break the bonds and be driven by the demon into the desert. Jesus then asked him, What is your name? And he said, Legion, for many demons had entered him. And they begged him not to command them to depart into the abyss. Now a large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him to let them enter these. So he gave them permission. Then the demons came out of the man and entered the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and drowned. When the herdsmen saw what had happened, they fled and told it in the city and in the country. Then the people went out to see what had happened, and they came to Jesus and found the man from whom the demons had gone, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it told them how the demon-possessed man had been healed. Then all the people of the surrounding country of the Gerasenes asked him to depart from them, for they were seized with great fear. So he got into the boat and returned. The man from whom the demons had gone begged that he might be with him. But Jesus sent him away, saying, Return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. And he went away, proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for giving us your word, and we pray that you would open our eyes today to see what it is you want to show us. Help us to receive your word rightly and to respond rightly in obedience to what you've called us to. Amen. Now we're going to talk about four major parts of this story. The suffering, the healing, the town's response, and the man's response. First, we see how Jesus steps off the boat, and he's met by this demon-possessed man who's been possessed and suffering for a long time. Let's look at the details of this man's suffering. First of all, we have to talk about the elephant in the room. 
This man is naked. We're told that he hasn't worn clothes in a long time. Needless to say, this man is yet another social outcast. You know, Jesus has crossed paths with quite a few outsiders in our journey through Luke, but if ever there was a person who seemed untouchable and unreachable, it's this man. Just imagine how freaky this scene must have been. As soon as Jesus steps off the boat, he's met by this naked guy screaming at him. What would be going through your mind if you were one of the disciples seeing this? I mean, this is terrifying, right? And I think the fact that this man has been running around naked for a long time, it shows us just how out of control he really is. This guy is completely out of his mind. His life is ruined. His situation seems utterly hopeless. Secondly, verse 27 tells us that this man has been living in the tombs. He has made his home in the cemetery. And I think it's really interesting that the demons have driven him out into the desert, or as some translations say, to solitary places. The point is, the man is alone. And that's a terrible place to be. Now, personally, I'm the kind of person that enjoys solitude. For me, it's very important to just get away from people sometimes and just be alone. But at the same time, I know that while I need my solitude, I also need community. Why? Because there is danger in isolation. Isolation breeds insanity. John Donne famously said, no man is an island. And that's true. God has wired us up in such a way that we need each other. We need community and fellowship. Without it, we're left alone with nobody but ourselves and our demons. And that's a recipe for destruction. And I think that's why the demon drove him out to solitary places and isolated him. Because in isolation, nobody could help him. And of all the places that the demon could take him, he has him living in the tombs among the dead. And that's such a fitting symbol for this man's life because really he's as good as dead. The demons have taken everything from him. His whole life is just one unending nightmare. Next, we see that nobody has been able to help this man. This man is helpless. They've tried chaining him up and keeping him under guard, probably because he's a danger to himself and others. But he keeps breaking free from the chains and returning to solitary places. And I wonder how many times... Can this community try to help this man before they just give up on him? How long before they decide this guy's just a lost cause? There's nothing that can be done for him. Or worse, how long before they decide this man is too dangerous and he needs to be dealt with? It's amazing to me to think about all of the different ways this story could have ended. But praise God that... When everything seemed helpless and lost, there was a twist in the story, and his name was Jesus. Notice the demon knew exactly who Jesus was. He yelled out, what have you to do with me? Or in other words, what do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? The demon threw the man down at Jesus' feet to beg for mercy. I beg you, do not torment me. What a mighty Savior we have, that the forces of darkness tremble before him. And Jesus asked the demon, what is your name? 
The demon replies, Legion, because it turns out there are many demons inside the man, a whole legion of demons. And so you can see how that intensifies this situation. The man's problem suddenly seems a whole lot worse and a lot more helpless. He needs an even bigger miracle than we first realized. But this is exactly what Luke and the Holy Spirit are showing us, that there is unstoppable power in this man named Jesus and in his word. When he speaks, the winds and waves obey him, and even a legion of demons tremble at his word. So Jesus commands the demons to come out of the man, and the demons plead for mercy. They beg Jesus not to send them to the abyss. The word abyss occurs several times throughout the Bible, and it refers to this bottomless pit in hell. It's a place of torment. And I think it's fascinating that the demons here know where they belong. They know that they deserve to be cast into hell. And get this, they are afraid to go there. These demons take hell a lot more seriously than most men do. ACDC, for example, sounded pretty excited about being on the highway to hell, but these powerful demons are terrified to go there. So they beg Jesus to send them into a nearby herd of pigs instead. And this is where the story gets really strange. For some reason, Jesus agrees to send the demons into this herd of pigs. He gives them permission and so the pigs hurl themselves off a cliff into a lake where they drown. Clearly, Jesus was not a member of PETA. And as I was studying this, I asked the same question that a lot of you might be asking at this point. Why would Jesus do that? And to be honest, the best answer I came up with was, I don't know. Um, <laughs> I don't fully understand this. And my best guess is that maybe it wasn't yet the time to completely destroy these demons. Although that time would come. That time will come soon. But anyway, for whatever reason, Jesus lets them live and he casts them into these pigs. But I think what happens to the pigs here is pretty revealing. Here we see how destructive these demons truly are. They are out to destroy life, and if they couldn't take this man, they'd settle for some pigs. I think we would all do well to remember that our enemy is the prince of demons, and that he too is out to destroy life. The scary thing is, he's usually a lot more subtle and crafty about it. It isn't usually as obvious as a herd of pigs flying off a cliff. Because the devil is out to deceive people. He's cunning and sneaky. But make no mistake about it. If you let him, he will run you off the cliff too. He'll just do it slowly and gradually. 1 Peter 5.8 says, Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. It's unfortunate what happens to this herd of pigs. We should take it as a warning. But don't let the pigs steal your focus away from the miracle of this story. The miracle of this story is that there was a man who was as good as dead, naked, alone, and totally helpless. 
His life was utterly ruined. But then along came Jesus and he spoke the word. That's all it took. He spoke the word. And this man's life was saved and forever changed. The townspeople came and found the man sitting at Jesus' feet, clothed and in his right mind. And that is incredible. That's a cause for celebration. This man who was as good as dead has been given back his life. And so surely the townspeople are going to get excited and throw a big party, right? No, actually they don't. Look at the town's reaction. The people of the town see the power of Jesus and of his word, and they are afraid. Jesus has done the impossible, and that freaks them out. They ask Jesus to leave. That is the wrong response. But I think in a way, that's typical even today. I think that some people want nothing to do with Jesus because deep down they're afraid of him and of his power and of his authority. They know that having Jesus in their lives would change everything. And frankly, they don't want to change. They are comfortable with the way things are. They're comfortable in their sin. But see how the healed man responds. He too has seen the power of Jesus and of his word. And he's not afraid, but amazed. He doesn't want to get away from Jesus. He wants more of Jesus. As Jesus is getting back into the boat to leave, the man begs Jesus to let him tag along. He wants to be closer to Jesus. And that is the right response. It always amazes me when people claim that Jesus has saved them, but they live as if they want nothing to do with Jesus. To be honest, you can't convince me that you've truly encountered Jesus if you live like you're not interested in him. Because to know Jesus is to love him. If you truly encounter Jesus, you're going to want to be closer to him like this man did. You're going to seek him. You won't be able to get enough of him. And so this man, after encountering the power of Jesus, he begs Jesus to let him come with him. He wants to follow Jesus wherever he's going. That's the right response. However, Jesus has other plans for him. He has work for him to do. And so he tells him instead to go home and tell everyone how much God has done for him. And so the man obeys Jesus. He goes all over the town spreading the news of Jesus. What an incredible story that is. This man was as good as dead, but Jesus gave him back his ruined life, and he gave him a mission and a purpose. He became a witness for Jesus, and that is the right response. When you truly encounter the life-changing power of Jesus, you can't just keep it to yourself. You're going to want to tell somebody about him. You see, we tend to share what we enjoy. We tend to talk about whatever it is we're passionate about. And I believe the more we encounter Jesus, the more we get to know him and fall in love with him and worship him, the more we will tell others about him. Because worship is the fuel of missions. Seeing and savoring Jesus should lead to serving others and sharing Jesus. So what does all this mean for us today? How should we respond to the truths of this passage? Well, first of all, I think Luke's main purpose here is to show the authority and identity of Jesus. 
The main idea of this passage is ironically found in the words of the demon when he says, Jesus, the son of the most high God. This is who Jesus is, the Messiah, the Savior, the one who makes the darkness tremble. And if you haven't put your trust in him, if you haven't given your life to him, then the bad news is you're headed for the cliff, just like those pigs. Because there is a real enemy who is out to destroy your life. And there is a real place called hell, and even the demons are afraid to go there. But that's the penalty that our sins deserve. We've sinned against a holy God. There's hell to pay. And unless God saves you, your life is headed for the cliff. But the good news, the gospel of Jesus, is that he has provided a way of salvation so that sinners don't have to go to hell. He's provided a way of salvation by living in our place the sinless life that we should have lived and by dying in our place to pay that penalty for our sins so that we don't have to. And so today, if you haven't already, I encourage you, turn from your sin. I plead with you, put your trust in Jesus for forgiveness and salvation. Give your life to him and follow him. Now to the church, let me say this. We need to recognize the urgent spiritual need all around us. People all around us every day are headed for that cliff, headed for destruction, headed for hell, and they need to hear the gospel. Do we really feel the weight of that? Will you do what this man did? Will you tell the world how much Jesus has done for you? I encourage you to tell your story. Tell people, I was just like this man. My life was ruined. I was as good as dead, but Jesus saved me. I was just like that herd of pigs. I was charging as hard as I could toward the edge of a cliff, but Jesus turned me around. Tell people, I was drowning, but Jesus lifted me up, and he set my feet on the solid rock. He gave me a firm place to stand. This week, will you look for opportunities to tell your story and to share the message of the cross? Finally, we need to remember the spiritual warfare that's going on all around us. Our enemy wants to destroy us, and his most powerful weapon is to deceive us. He's out to destroy our minds. But remember this, God has given us a weapon to fight back. His word is a mighty sword to cut through all the lies. So are you using that sword? Are you on guard against the enemy? Are you fighting to keep your mind and your heart in line with God's truth and God's will for your life? Consider how your Bible study routine is going right now. I encourage you to have a reading plan and to follow through with it. Because there's war being waged against your mind every day. From the culture around us to our sinful flesh, we are being daily bombarded with lies. And so we got to stay sharp. God has given us his word and he says it is living and active, sharper than a double-edged sword, useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. 
Church, do not waste this precious gift that we've been given. This is war, and the Word of God is our weapon. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for the gift of your Word. Lord, as all the world, as the culture around us, as our own flesh is screaming lies, we thank you so much for giving us the voice of truth for giving us a light in the darkness, a lamp unto our feet, for giving us a sword to fight back against the lies. God, I pray that you would help us to take advantage of that gift that you've given us. Help us to renew our minds every single day to your word. God, I pray for those who are lost in the darkness, who are headed for the cliff. God, I pray that you would send us out to them to proclaim your word to rescue them. And God, we thank you so much for rescuing us. We thank you for turning our lives around. We thank you for saving us. You are an awesome, mighty God. You make the darkness tremble, and we praise you. Amen.